Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Duran Horowitz, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for EHS Security and Investigations, about the importance of workplace security. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Duran Horowitz, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for EHS Security and Investigations. Welcome, Duran. Welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Um, great to have you. And I was wondering, before we get started talking about workplace violence, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and about uh, your company and what you do. So uh, Aegis is a uh, security and investigation company. And my role focuses on new initiatives, as, as in my title, but it's really to, I guess, introduce and insert a level of um, almost unprecedented training and education for our clients and consumers where people are empowered through training and education, knowledge, tools, resources to better enhance, well, as it relates to this particular subject, to empower companies to mitigate threat through best practices. I am a former Israeli military. I worked uh, for many years in a uh, in the nonprofit world in the protection of um, Jewish communities and other minority groups that are presented with all kinds of unique security and safety challenges from counterterrorism, uh, workplace violence, uh, you know, anti-Semitism and racism and bias and uh, terrorism that I guess affects. Or, or how it relates to workplace violence is people that are indoctrinated and inspired through extreme ideology. And uh, oftentimes that involves uh, people who have severe mental health disorders with a propensity for violence. So I've been unfortunately firsthand experience in responding to all kinds of offense, uh, both uh, overseas and here, um, in the United States as well as in Canada. All right. Well, I guess let's start off with the sort of a, a pretty uh, basic question, but I think an important one is, which is, uh, why do you think workplace violence has become such a big problem in the U.S.? So, I'll, I'll start by saying this. First of all, I am not a social scientist or a neuropsychologist sure. or a social uh, worker, and that's important to distinguish from what we do versus in uh, the attempt to understand why this occurs. So obviously we're educated at ages in terms of who the players, who are the actors, you know, what are the contributing factors to an individual or a group of individuals wanting to commit, uh, you know, violence in the workplace, mass murder, etc. The focus is really about, we, you know, we can't pursue forever endlessly why people want to do something. So the first step is acknowledging that it exists. There's been an increase in violence in the workplace over the years in this country. And we've identified clear vulnerabilities in a lot of companies and organizations that are just fundamentally unprepared. Mm-hmm. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of reasons why they're not prepared. So to answer your first question is, we're seeing a don't want to see a spike, but we're seeing a steady increase in violence in the workplace. And we're seeing a huge gap between recognizing that potential violence 
and the lack of preparedness on a lot of companies and organizations. Is, is there right. is there uh, an issue too with sort of copycat where you know we we hear so, a, a, so lot absolutely. About a lot of these incidents and then other people kind of follow suit. So it's it's a great question, um, and oftentimes, yeah, I mean that's human nature. So if an individual commits, uh, you know, a shooting or, or, or major violence in the workplace. Other people who are not processing information in the most health, in the most healthy manner, and, and you know, obviously to the extreme, or oftentimes to the extreme, they'll see this individual and they'll realize that this is an option. This is a possibility. There is a way to do something. I no longer have to be this. And so a bad actor who commits a crime, a heinous crime, can actually inspire many people. We've seen this, whether it's terrorism or school violence, right. or workplace violence. Absolutely. So but let me, you know, to get back to your initial question, and, and this plays a very, very important role, is the philosophy of that statement lies in, you know, I have a responsibility to protect my fellow human being. There is an absolute need, especially in this country, to be a little bit more resilient and not be a victim. We also have to accept, I think to, to a degree, um, Jay, that violence exists. To, to deny that violence doesn't exist or that it can't happen to me, as the old saying goes, is, does not allow us to process information effectively and competently if an incident were to occur. You know, a perfect example of that would be nobody buys car insurance so that they can get into an accident. <laughs> right. They buy because it's the law. But no one ever thinks that they're they're not, they don't drive a car as if they're going to get into an accident. But acknowledging that, you know, you know especially in LA, <laughs> expecting or, or I guess accepting the fact that accidents happen actually helps us prepare better but on a more operational side on a more practical level is what is it that we can do what are some of the steps what's the plan that we can do to mitigate that threat? so one is actually acknowledging two is is accepting that i do have a responsibility in doing and preparing in order not just to protect my life protect the lives of my fellow co-workers, my colleagues. So if I possess that attitude, and I know they do, and employers have facilitated and created an environment where safety and security is part of the culture, I've now created a safe and secure environment, subconsciously and collectively as a whole. And so I guess following up on that, um, you know, how important is it for businesses to create that sort of culture of safety and security and, and what goes into that? Um, again, it's a great question. So, so the answer lies in your question. In, in other words, one is acknowledging all the, you know, the reality and then two, what is it that we can do? So if the objective is, as you say in your question, how do we create a culture of safety and security? One is accepting the fact is that we potentially are vulnerable to either an outside threat coming in 
or an inter an outside or an internal threat from an employee or somebody who's related to that employee. So acknowledging and accepting that is number one. Two is, all right, what, where are we vulnerable? So that may require, and oftentimes, is an assessment. And within an assessment is identifying potential vulnerabilities and then providing solutions. I'll give you an example. If, for example, any individual can walk into the office building completely unmonitored and unaccounted for, then that opens up a vulnerability. Because now I don't know who's walking into my building. I don't know who's walking into my office floor. That in itself is a vulnerability. So what can I put in as an obstacle, a friendly obstacle, that will allow me to control who's coming in? We call that access control in the industry. So if I'm controlling who's coming into my home, so very much in your home, can anyone off the street just come in and enter your home? No, there's a lock, there's a door. Someone knocks on the door and if you're using other technology, you say, hello, who is it? They ring the doorbell, you say hello. And there's a screening process. It's not, it's not uh, offensive in any way, it's just a norm. So that's one example. So identifying what the vulnerabilities are. Two, through technology, procedures, and incredibly important training so that we create that culture and that culture is trained and prepared. Those are one, some of the things that we can do. Once we do an assessment, then we develop a plan. One, inside that plan is contained a policy of the organization. So if the company or an organization or a group says, our policy is we want to know who's coming into the building. The procedures that you put in place have to support that policy. In other words, if we want to know who's coming into the building, if that's our policy, then how do you achieve that? Well, you may have a security officer or you may have uh, people at the front line or your front desk mm -hmm. identifying who, the, who comes in. That's, that's a procedure. And then more importantly is, what is the response should an incident take place? How quickly can I buy time? How quickly can I respond to it? And does everyone know where to go, what to do, how to get there, etc.? So when we talk about emergency management, it doesn't have to be complicated. We think of it as, what is it that I'm doing today to invest to ensure that I'm reducing or mitigating threat? Today is, what do I have available in real time should an incident take place? Does my frontline staff know who to call, where to go, how to get there, what's the route, how to de-escalate a potential violence situation? Does the leadership provide that? Do employees know what to do? And then tomorrow is incredibly important. So you have yesterday I've invested in, in training, in, in procedures, and in policies, in everything and anything to do with safety and security. Today, God forbid something happens, I'm able to manage it. And if you prepare, if you invest in preparedness, then your ability to recover is shortened significantly. If you don't have a plan in place, then your ability to manage or recover is significantly challenged, significantly. And that translates into money and a lot of loss from counseling to employees not wanting to return to work but if you invest beforehand 
in things that you may not immediately see a return on investment. That return on investment is loyalty of employees, employees increasing the morale of employees, knowing that they are actually cared for, that they walk around with that sense, the ownership of safety and security, and more importantly, I will go to work tomorrow because I know my company has invested in that safety and security. Yeah. Um, do you have an idea of like, I mean, are there a lot of companies that aren't, uh, that haven't planned for these kinds of situations? Are you surprised at that or is, or are people pretty much on board with this kind of security now? I, I think the answer to this question is that I would say the majority of companies appreciate and understand the need to be prepared. I would also say that human nature oftentimes fails to prepare until something happens and then it's too late and it's too expensive. So somewhere in between lies, you know, what we need to say a reasonable, rational approach to safety and security. In other words, if an employer is responsible for providing a reasonable level of safety and security, what does that look like? They also need to know what that is. In other words, you can create, you know, moats and crocodiles and all kinds of uh, <laughs> prison-like environments, right? Right. You can, do, you, you can do that. Or you can say, well, you know, Training is important. Knowing what to do in the event of something happening, that's incredibly important. Um, having a plan in place from the top down, in other words, a senior executive, senior leadership of an, of an organization, all the way down to someone who, who cleans your office at night, who can play a significant role in safety and security. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I would say almost everyone recognizes the importance but not enough companies are preparing for something that may occur and they just don't think it can occur to them. There's, if you take a look at all the mass shootings and the workplace violence incidents over the last 10 years or 15 years, and if you were to ask that person, do you think this, you know, if, 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 if the day before this occurred, this tragic event occurred, do you think this could have happened? Nobody would say yes. Right, right. Um, so I would, I would say that the amount and numbers of violent incidents taking place, ignorance can no longer be a, uh, a plea. It, you just can't say, I didn't know, or right, I didn't right. think that something would happen, because there's just too many incidents occurring almost every day in this country that a person can't say, I didn't think it was going to happen. That's just irresponsible at this point. Yeah. I think prior to the Columbine shooting in 99, when that occurred, I think that was almost somewhat of an excuse. But since then, there is no excuse. Yeah. Um, how would you define situational awareness uh, as it pertains to this, to workplace security? Well, situational awareness plays a significant role in creating that culture of safety and security. Situational awareness defined essentially means knowing where you are in terms of space and time. It's just that simple. Mm. Where am I? What is occurring around me? So 
I'll, I'll, I'll give you this example. If, if we reach or get to a major intersection, a crosswalk, and of, of a you know major metropolis or whatever it is, and I have an individual crossing who's got his earbuds in and paying zero attention and completely tuned out. And you have a wild driver, perhaps drunk or whatever, perhaps bad intention, is just going to shoot right through that. That person's situational awareness who's crossing and listening to whatever album he's listening to or podcast is not paying attention. So that situational awareness is equal to zero. <laughs> now, you can, I'm not saying take off your earbuds every time you cross the street because that's not realistic. But if you create a balance where you are aware of what's happening in your environment, where you are, where, where you acknowledge that, yeah, there are some dangerous drivers out there, or there's somebody who is nefarious or someone with bad intention, I can continue to listen to my podcast, but I'm going to be aware and be able to react and respond. Situational awareness is knowing not just where you are at what point at what time, but knowing who is around you. So situational awareness can contribute a great deal to prevention. In other words, if I'm in the office and an individual walks in and starts asking all kinds of weird questions, it used to be that, eh, some crazy person, whatever. But now if I created that environment, I would say, you know what, I need to report this to someone. Maybe there's something more. I need to gather information. I was trained about how to take a description of the suspicious person. I was I was trained to record. Maybe there are some things that this person said where otherwise it would have been dismissed, but because of training, and maybe the police are looking for this individual. So situational awareness is an individual responsibility as well as a collective responsibility, and it plays a significant role in creating that culture of safety and security. And we provide that kind of training because without it, you can't have you can have all the plans in the world. But if there's no sense of responsibility or understanding where you are in terms of situational awareness, we can't prevent the next uh, bad incident from occurring. Mm -hmm. um, next question. How should businesses respond to threats of violence in the workplace? Well, the first flaw in that question is <laughs> if they're just if they're first responding, then they didn't invest in training, education, development of procedures, right. doing a threat assessment. When an incident occurs, when a person hears a bang or a series of bangs, as in shots fired, mm -hmm. they can go into a state of paralysis, meaning they freeze. They will go into uh, perhaps an, an instinctive defensive mode where they understand what's occurring they're deliberating or contemplating what to do and then they decide to act at the best case scenario so in terms of what a company should be doing if an incident occurs the simple answer is get away from the danger mm -hmm. you know hiding under your desk and praying that nothing happens is not a security policy taking action in other words, taking a deep breath, understanding where the threat is coming from, and getting away from that, that's action that's going to increase your survival. 
if you don't have a plan in place, if none of your employees have been trained, to even to the sound of a gunfire. I remember there was one interview following a, a, a shooting at a, at a workplace. And they asked the, 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 one of the employees, you know, what happened when you first saw shots fired? They said, and, and, and this happens all the time, the response was, I thought it was someone's birthday and it was firecrackers. Hmm. Now, I don't know about what, how things are here workplace, but no one has ever pulled <laughs> in firecrackers at a birthday. Now, right. I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't, but this is how innocent, right. this is how innocent the situation is because people are in denial. And they're in denial because no one's trained them. And again, when I talk about a reasonable level, you know, at our company, we talk to people, we interact with people, we understand that people are not aware of how and what to do. So you have to introduce the concept of, hold on a second, something's happened, I should take action. Now, not only should I take action, but I have a responsibility to take action. So if you hear firecrackers, it's most likely not someone's birthday or unrelated right. to someone's birthday. Right, right. And it requires you to act. So that's incredibly important. What to do, where to go, how to get there, and how many times have I, have I gone through that? So what does, an, what does a company do when they're interacted? The first thing is, if you've done no training, try to get out of the way. Mm. But training is essential. It is a fundamental pillar in increasing survivability and reducing risk. I think, culturally speaking, Jay, this is really important. Psychologically, when people don't act in a, during a violent episode or an incident, it eats them and destroys them for the rest of their life. When people act, and respond and own their own safety and security, it collectively contributes to an empowered environment. So no matter what happens, that will to survive, that will to say, hold on, I am going to go home to my family today, I will not be a victim, is, a, is an empowerment that you cannot put a price on. You cannot put a price tag on empowerment. If, and not only that, but an incident occurs, how likely do you think that employees are going to come back to their company the next day? You'll be dealing with counseling. Right. The crime scene will shut down business. So when we talk about active shooter or when we talk about violence in the workplace, it's one component of an overall approach to emergency management, to incident management. Right? When you talk about what kind of resources, well, we can't go back to the building because it's a crime scene. So then where are we going to be operating under? No, due to COVID, a lot of those questions have been answered. But the infrastructure, even on a technical level, the infrastructure needs to be supported. Who has laptops? Can we actually work tomorrow? Do we have a contract with, say, counseling services to get people back to work? Like business and the show has to go on. Are we, are we actually prepared to deal with something? Now COVID has also contributed to increased anxiety, 
disruption. So to the normal person, and I use that term loosely, <laughs> I would say that people process information in a healthy manner. And we realize that we're in a COVID, we're in an epidemic, we need to manage it, we need to do whatever we need to. And then God willing, we'll, we'll go back to, you know, to a new normal. You know, the economy, life has to go on. But to those who are mental health consumers, which is a serious problem, it needs to be addressed. If there are people who have a propensity for violence, COVID has actually infused more oxygen on a negative level as well as a positive level. So as we begin to return to work, as we see, you know, uh, society's ability to manage and recover from this pandemic and, and, and perhaps we'll just learn to live with it, a lot of people have not processed that information. Returning to work is going to be anxiety-driven in any event, right? It's not going to be right. normal at the beginning. But to those who have a propensity for violence, it will be played out. We've seen domestic violence increase. The, the, the disruption of the pandemic has only, I would say, fanned the flames of a lot of mental health issues that, and, and I make the distinction, I, I, you know, I've said propensity for violence a couple of times because not everyone that has mental issues or mental health issues has a propensity for violence. But there is a segment of the population that absolutely is it. And we see that because of school shootings. Just, a couple, just last week, there was another school shooting. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to, you know, kids are going to be going back to school. Schools need to prepare. Institutions need to prepare. Universities, colleges, work, workplaces absolutely have to prepare. But it has to be done in a reasonable method. It has to be done in a way that we're not, in, we're not enhancing the fear. We're reducing three, uh, fear and we're increasing empowerment and resiliency. It, it creates a loyalty um, among employees. They know that their employers have taken that into consideration and do care about them. Those, these are positive things. So there are many organizations or security companies that will perhaps, um, I'm just choosing my words carefully here, that will use fear as a selling point. Right. You know, we're very focused on empowerment and resilience. Through threat assessment, through all the conventional means um, to enhance safety and security, through threat assessment, you know, security guard coverage, people that are properly trained, that have the tools and the equipment, not just to respond, but primarily on prevention. And then employees, right? It's okay to speak with employees. It's okay for employees to say that I'm afraid. Okay, we'll, we'll deal with that. We'll talk with you about that. But doing nothing is not an option. Doing something is not an option either. It's, a, it's an obligation. So, you know, speaking of training, how often should businesses conduct, you know, preparedness training for these kinds of situations? Well, you know, I've worked with quite a few schools uh, over the years, and it's funny, you know, the first week, I think everyone does a fire drill. And then people have done do fire drills, I think it's twice a year, sometimes people do more at schools, or, or even in businesses, people do fire mm -hmm. drills. 
The last time a fire killed anyone in a school, I think was maybe 50, 60 years ago. <laughs> but it was ingrained in our culture due to a tragic incident that happened, um, I believe it was a school in Chicago. Um, but it's ingrained in a culture that it's just part of the routine. So kids, every kid knows how to do a fire drill. Well, at least they know how to follow a line and then exit the building nicely in orderly fashion, and then they miss 20 minutes of math. So that's great. <laughs> but what needs to be done is ask any company, when was the last time you did a lockdown drill or an evacuation drill due to violence in the workplace? A lot of them will say no. They haven't. That is problematic in its core. But it needs to be part of our culture just because circumstances have dictated. So how often? At least, you know, they should be doing it at least twice a year. Every six months, or perhaps even every quarter, a company should have its employees go through a refresher training. It could be something simple. Talk about it. Having a plan is incredibly important and essential. Knowing what the plan is, is what I've walked into so many businesses and I ask them, Do you have an emergency handbook? Do you have an emergency management plan? Oh, they say, Yeah, sure. And they take it off the shelf and they blow the dust, blow the off. dust off. <laughs> yeah, and they say, Here you go. Yeah, yeah, I go, How many employees have actually read this? Or, or do you know what to do if God forbid something happens? Emergencies are called emergencies because no one's planning for them. Right? No one's saying we're scheduling a mass shooting next week, so right. you know, bring right. the lunch. No, no one talks like that. No, no one, no one behaves like that. But in, in short, you can have a brilliant plan, but no one knows what it is. So part of that plan is training. And if you bring in twice a week, so first of all, you need to do fundamentals and training, the ABCs of what, who, where, when, etc. And then refresh. Now you've not only trained your employees, but you've now you've already reducing risk because employees now know, yeah, my company looks after me. They do care about safety and security. I would say around twice a year. But training you know, could be done quarterly. If it's an hour here or a three-hour workshop, whatever the case may be, it is worth it. Yeah. If it only saves one life, you know, the loss of one life affects dozens of people. And it is an absolute disruption and tragic about a place where you cannot return to normal. It, and, and for 20, 30 years, it will always be, oh, that's the place where. Right. So the reputational right. damage is irreversible, Other, you know, aside from the tragic loss of life. And you it's can't, terrible. You can't assume that it's not, never going to happen to you. I think you said that early on. You know, it's just... You know, you see these incidents in the news, but you can't just say, well, that's, you know, what, what are the odds it'll happen to us? Absolutely. We, we are not and cannot be responsible for how people process information. What we can be responsible about is, A, accepting that in today's reality, workplace violence is real. It just is. Just like violence in the rest of the world is. It's not a separate entity from the rest of how this world operates. Two is, what is reasonable? So if I overreact and my decision-making process when it comes to security and safety is emotionally driven, that's also bad. Because you, then you're going to be making decisions from emotion when in emergency management 
or security training. It's all about being practical in your thinking. That's what's going to help you manage and recover from an incident. So do not make assumptions. The only assumption that you should make is it's possible. Accepting that reality is incredibly important. The second step is, okay, what is reasonable? What's a reasonable strategy or approach? Well, one is assessing where our assessing potential threats. B, assessing our own capabilities operationally and uh, in human resources. What are our capabilities as well as technology to reduce those vulnerabilities? How do we put things in order? What is a priority? And three is the implementation of those standards as well as training. Again, we don't want to have a brilliant plan that no one knows. Right? It's Thank not a you. check the box. When it comes to the preservation of life, it's not a check the box thing. It's an investment. Just like prevention in medicine, we now know that exercise, for example, or eating healthy or living a healthy lifestyle is actually an excellent way to, you know, to save costs on, on health bills, right? On medical yeah. bills later yeah. on. That's a good, it's the same thing with safety and security. It's no different. We just, it just needs to be integrated in a reasonable manner into our day-to-day -day life. It's a reality that we don't want to, but it requires maturity. Saying that, oh, I'm not afraid, it's all good, nothing. Yeah, it takes one incident for everyone to realize that they were wrong. Let's not get there. Let's let's look after each other. Yeah, makes sense. Well, Duran, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Jay. That wraps up episode 80 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Thank you.